You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Today, we're closing out a series we started a few weeks ago uh, called The Problem of Jesus. And the series really has been walking through the Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, 6, and 7. If you haven't been reading Matthew's Gospel, uh, if you haven't been going through the YouVersion Bible reading plan that we have, I strongly encourage you, man, jump into it. There's so much rich, rich wisdom in what Jesus shares in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And uh, what we are going to do is we're finishing this out, talking about some of the hard, difficult things that Jesus talks about. And uh, I don't know if any of you like mirrors. Do any of you like mirrors? Some of you like mirrors? No. Um, mirrors are really fascinating, interesting technology. And I know a lot of us wouldn't necessarily call a mirror technology. But, but uh, the, the modern mirror was invented in uh, 1865, 18, or 1835. And uh, that's almost 200 years ago. And it stood the test of time. Now, think about this. Without electricity or any kind of outside power source, a mirror gives us a very clear, accurate representation of ourselves. Uh, like, that's a pretty remarkable accomplishment, achievement. Uh, in fact, with, without any electricity, we can see ourselves in a mirror. Uh, we, can, we can see behind us in the car. Even if the mirror is curved a little bit, we can even see around the corner. It's pretty remarkable. Um, now, many of us, probably look in the mirror every morning, if not all of us. And, and, and that's not because we're self-absorbed. It's because it helps us get ready for the day, right? Like maybe you look in the mirror to make sure your hair isn't a hot mess. Maybe you look in the mirror uh, to, to determine whether your makeup is like leaning more all natural or more like circus clown. And you're trying to figure out where you fall on that spectrum. Maybe, I know for me, I like to use my mirror in my bathroom in the morning to make sure that my contacts are going in my eye and not my nose. Or uh, to make sure I don't get any toothpaste in my beard. Um, mirrors are really, really helpful. Uh, mirrors are, are useful though in so many different ways. Uh, it, we, we have used uh, mirrors beyond just seeing ourselves. We also use mirrors when driving to see where others are, whether it's those beside us or behind us. Uh, they help us drive safer because we get a clear picture of where we are in relation to other vehicles around us. Like, it's really helpful to make sure that we don't, you know, run into someone or, or you know, crash into this or that. Uh, in the old movie, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, the evil queen stands before her magic mirror, and she says, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And, and uh, she was using her mirror to find out where she stood in relation to everyone else in her kingdom. And, and this is what a lot of people do today in real life. Are we keeping up with the Joneses? Do, does our family look the part? Do I look successful enough? Does my house look nice enough? How am I doing at this stage of life compared to other people my age? A, a mirror is a good illustration of how society has really become obsessed with comparisons. And it's not just about how we add up, but also how others add up to us. For, for example, we get frustrated and even angry with people when they aren't doing things the way we think they should do them. Maybe it's, you know, how they're raising their kids. 
Maybe it's how they're driving their car. Like, why didn't they use that turn signal? I'm really ticked off they didn't use that turn signal. You get really angry. Or maybe it's, you know, how they're responding or their family's responding to COVID. Or how they work or don't work. Or how they manage their time or their money. When we respond like this, what we're subtly or maybe not so subtly saying is that we are the ultimate standard that others should live up to. Like, if people aren't doing it the way I'm doing it, then they're wrong. And, and this is what's become dangerous in our culture is we have, uh, as a whole, not just us, but as a society, we have taken this response that if people don't live up to the standard of my life, the choices I make personally, then we will cancel them. We eliminate them because they aren't living up to my standard. In other words, we're the mirror that others should look to if they want to see if they're doing things right or in a healthy way. Now, this reflection or comparison can go the other way too. Some project what others are doing into their own lives just to justify what they might be doing or not doing. They might say, yeah, yeah you know, I, I look at porn every so often, but at least I'm not having an affair like that guy over there. Or, or yeah, you know, I gossip here and there every so often, but at least I'm not cursing like that lady over there. And in this situation, rather than projecting our standard on others, we're using others' standard to justify ours. You see, mirrors are wonderful, but they are only as good as what they're ultimately reflecting. Like, we haven't found a mirror that helps us lose 30 pounds yet. We haven't found a mirror that, that allows us to, to fix our hair immediately. We, we don't have a mirror that the moment you look at it, like you magically are in fit shape and you have those muscles you've wanted. Now, there is an alternative to this comparison game that we see in culture. And it's breaking the mirror. Avoiding people altogether. Isolation. If you stay away from the mirror altogether, you never have to worry about what you see, right? Just don't look in the mirror. In isolation, we don't have to worry about the judgment or comparison of others. In isolation, we aren't presented with the temptation to compare ourselves with others. And honestly, there are some really cool benefits to isolation. Think about it. Last year, during the shutdown, there were all kinds of things that we didn't have to worry about. Like what you were wearing, you'd have to worry about it. Unless you were on a lot of Zoom calls, then you just didn't have to worry about what pants you were wearing. Uh, or, or how clean your house was, people's snarky remarks or, or, or uh, looks at you or at work, or, or the office drama, the awkward lunch conversations, that annoying guy in the cubicle next to you. We didn't have to worry about any of that. There were some clear advantages to a little bit of isolation. And let's be honest, people sometimes make this world really difficult to live in, don't they? Like, like, there are some times we would probably all agree it would be so much easier, so much less stressful, uh, a lot uh, more peaceful if it weren't for all those crazy people out there. And in fact, why don't you turn to your neighbor right now and, and tell them, you're one of those crazy people. <laughs> Go ahead, this is like really freeing. You've been wanting to say this for all this, these years. You can tell them now, you're one of those crazy people. If the person you just uh, talked to was your spouse, we have marriage counseling that we can provide <laughs> later. Uh, in fact, l- listen to this quote from a theologian. His name is Gordon Fee. He-, he wrote this in his book, Paul, the Spirit, and the People of God. It's a, it's a real zinger of a quote. Listen to this. Listen to what he says. He says, it is far easier. Can you say easier? It is far easier to be a Christian in isolation. Isn't that the truth? It is so much easier to be a Christian in isolation than it is to live out one's faith in the context of all those other imperfect people who make up God's church. Wow. Like, 
if it wasn't for everyone else in this room right now, boy, it would be so much easier to follow Jesus. Like, just look around the room. I know if you're watching online, imagine there's people here. Look around. It would be easier, I promise you. Following Jesus would be easier without everyone around you. And yet, it would be so much harder in other ways. What, we're, what, he, what, what Gordon Fee is saying here, in so many words, is that it's really easy to drive your car down the highway, oblivious to everyone else around you when you have no mirrors. Because ignorance is bliss, right? With isolation, you don't have anything to compare yourself to. Thus, sort of fixing the problem. But while it might fix one problem, it actually creates another. Here's what Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1 says. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. In other words, when you isolate yourself, all you're doing is seeking what you want, and you're missing out on what's actually better. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So, so mirroring what others are doing can be dangerous. Expecting others to mirror our behavior can be difficult especially sometimes emotionally. So, so where do we land? Seems like a lose-lose situation. I, I believe strongly that God has given us figurative mirrors, so to speak, but, but not to compare ourselves or, or others, or compare others to ourselves. So we oftentimes come up with these two options. Look, I want to I wanna reflect who I am to the world around me, or I want to reflect the world around me to myself. And I want to make sure that I add up that, that when I'm looking at, at the world around me, that like everything looks right. That, that maybe I'm a little better than everyone else. I look a little better than everyone else. But, but God's desire is something entirely different. He, see, in both of these situations, we're pointing the mirror horizontally. We're, we're pointing at ourselves or at the others. But God wants us to point it vertically. That we become this reflection of God to the world. Not a reflection of ourselves, not a reflection of them to us till we feel better, but a reflection of God to the world. Uh, that's what God wants, meaning we aren't the standard others should follow, and others aren't the standard we just need to exceed, but he is the standard that we strive to follow. He ultimately is the reflection that we should be shining in our world, and this is a simple idea I want to share with you. Uh, from today's teaching that we're looking at in Matthew chapter 7, from this Sermon on the Mount. And it's a simple, simple thought, simple idea. What we're reflecting or projecting ultimately affects how we're reacting. What we're uh, reflecting or projecting affects how we're reacting. We get prideful when we reflect others' lives onto our own, and we come out on top. Or, or, or we get discouraged and depressed when we project our lives onto others and seem to fall short. We get angry when others don't live up to our standard or we get anxious when we can't live up to theirs. It's a never-ending cycle that we have so beautifully now labeled the rat race, trying to keep up with everybody, trying to keep up with uh, uh, everyone else and what we're reflecting or projecting is affecting ultimately how we're reacting to life. We've reacted in so many crazy ways over the last year and a half, but it's not unique to this last year or two. It's been part of human race. We react in crazy ways because of what we're reflecting. But Jesus has another way. And here's what he says in Matthew's gospel, chapter 7, verse 1. He writes this, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured 
to you. Now, this verse has been used out of context so many times where people don't know scripture and don't understand the context say, well, don't judge me. But, but that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that we shouldn't have any standard of living. Jesus is uh, not saying that, that uh, there's, there's a free-for-all and it's anarchy. Jesus isn't, is not saying to, that we shouldn't hold the reflection of life up to someone else's life, uh, determine. He's saying something entirely different. And a good way to understand these verses is to look at a parallel verse in Luke's gospel, chapter 6. And, and oftentimes when you read something in one part of the Bible, especially the gospels, you will oftentimes find a similar passage that helps bring some definition or understanding. And that's what this is. Luke chapter 6, verse 37. This is what it says. Do not judge or you, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you a good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus isn't saying we shouldn't hold to any standards at all, but, what, but instead of becoming the self-righteous judge of all, we need to look in the mirror, because with the judgment we extend, it will be extended back to us. And the word in the Greek here that's used for judge is the word krino. Krino. And, and it literally is translated to distinguish. So if we were to translate that Greek word literally, it's, it's to distinguish. Now, before 1835, when the German chemist Justice von Liebig uh, invented the modern mirror, uh, people were still looking at the reflection of other things. Like, he's not the first person to discover you can look at your reflection in something and see yourself. Uh, it had been happening for thousands and thousands of years. In fact, people in uh, Anatolia, which is modern-day Turkey, they manufactured the first mirrors out of ground and polished uh, obsidian, which is volcanic glass, almost 8,000 years ago. So they were looking at their reflection in, in volcanic glass. Mirrors made of polished copper later popped up in Mesopotamia, which is now Iraq, and Egypt from about 4,000 to 3,000 B.C. Uh, about 1,000 years later, people in Central and South America began making mirrors out of polished stone, while Chinese and Indian mirror makers crafted them out of bronze. Well, what made von Liebig's invention unique from all the others is he developed a process to apply a thin letter, layer of metallic uh, silver to one side of a pane of clear glass, making the reflection the most distinguishable and most accurate. So what made that invention uh, what it is that we would call it the modern mirror is what you see in the mirror is actually what you look like. It's accurate. That you're able to distinguish, like, that's me. Some of the previous reflections were kind of distorted. It wasn't an accurate representation. Uh, you see, what Jesus is talking about here isn't that it's wrong to compare yourself necessarily, but that it, what's wrong is when we distinguish or compare ourselves to the wrong things. This is because it distorts what we're actually looking at. We don't have an accurate picture. Like when we're looking at the wrong things and comparing ourselves with the wrong things, we either feel prideful or discouraged. Like, like have you ever been sitting at a stoplight? Maybe you look in the rearview mirror and you see this big Mack truck coming your way, this big semi. And, and in the mirror, you could put your fingers around the truck. Like it, it looks that small. Now, you don't freak out because you understand this idea of perspective. Like, from your perspective, yeah, it's a little ways off. And you're reacting in a way, understanding your perspective. You're not freaking out as if you were standing right in front of that Mack truck, right? 
Like if you were standing right in front of that Mack truck, it would be a whole different story. Your reaction would be different. It's because you understand perspective. And, and, and what we're reflecting or projecting affects how we're reacting. This is why if, if, if we're trying to lose weight, we like to compare ourselves to someone that maybe uh, is heavier. Or, or why if our marriage isn't doing well, we like to compare ourselves with someone whose marriage is a mess. Or, or, or why when our kids are a hot mess, we like to compare our family with a, a family that seems more chaotic. In all these situations, what we're reflecting affects how we're reacting. We feel better about ourselves or our situation. The problem with this kind of comparison is it, it, it can create a good initial experience. We feel better about ourselves. But a horrible long-term long reaction, we never actually improve or get better. Like, like, if you become satisfied with your marriage, looking at the reflection of another marriage that maybe is falling apart, you're never going to step out and get the help or marriage counseling that maybe you need. Or, or if you feel more comfortable about your weight compared to someone else's, you might never take the step to get in shape or start eating better. Or, or, or if you feel more spiritual because you pray better than that other person, you're never going to push yourself to grow and to deepen your walk with God. While in the short run, this kind of comparison feels good, in the long run, it shortchanges our own growth or development. And this is what Jesus explains in the following verses, in verse 3 of Matthew 7. He said this, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus here is using an extreme hyperbole to make a point to the religious leaders he's speaking to. He's trying to convey two really important things here. First, when you are transfixed on the speck in someone else's eye and how horrible it is, you miss the giant plank in your own eye. If you get so focused on someone else's reflection, you miss that you actually need to fix what's wrong in your own reflection. You get, you get focused over here and you miss what's right here that needs changed. Which then begs the question, by what means is the speck or the plank bad? It's an interesting question. Like, If you were to say that speck is bad in your eye and my plank is bad, how do you know? It's because you're comparing it to the reflection of Scripture over your life. You're comparing it to an ultimate higher standard. So the first thing is we can get so transfixed on the speck in someone else's eye, we miss what's happening here. The second, Jesus gets to the application of this approach in verse 5. He said, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. See, the purpose of self-reflection or self-judgment is really to prepare us to ultimately serve others. That we are healthy so that we can make a difference. Christians are called to help each other grow in grace, to become a clear reflection of Jesus. My job is to help you become a clear reflection of Jesus. Your job is to help me become a clear reflection of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, this is what Paul writes. He said, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What's he saying? He's saying, like, our goal is to better reflect Jesus, not each other. Not, not, not to reflect, you know, what that person over there is doing. It's to reflect Jesus to this world. Like, that's what we're called to do. That's what it means to follow Jesus. When, when we 
When we do not judge ourselves in comparison with God's word, we're not only hurting our own development, our own health, but we also hurt those that we're called to serve and to help. The Pharisees, who Jesus was talking to, they judged and criticized others ultimately to make them fell, themselves look better. Like when they spoke down to people and talked to people like, you're not doing this right, it made them feel better because on the outside they looked like they were, had it all together. They were, they were perfect. But Christians should judge themselves ultimately so they can help others look good, not make themselves look good. That's the difference. Your goal in that reflection isn't to make you look better or to you look good, make you look good. It's to make others look good. It's to help them become better. Because what we're reflecting or projecting affects how we're reacting. Our world doesn't need more judgmental Christians. We have enough of those in our world. Overreacting every time someone that isn't following Jesus acts like they're not following Jesus. We get really frustrated in the Christian community when people in our world, celebrities, other notable names and people, aren't living up to biblical standards. But they never claim to be living up to biblical standards. The world will never live up to what the Bible says it should do. I promise you, never. It never has, it never will. And we need to stop expecting that. We need to stop expecting the world to live up to biblical standards, to what Jesus says, rather than expecting the world to live up to what the Bible says and then getting frustrated when they fall short. Let's try something a little different. What if instead we turned our mirrors upward and started reflecting Jesus to the world instead of expecting the world to reflect Jesus? What if we stopped getting mad when we're like, why aren't you doing this? Why is this person doing that? That's so ungodly. That's so immoral. That's so wrong. And we get all fired up and we, uh, we cancel them or we stop whatever. We'll stop expecting them to live up to a biblical standard because they're not following Jesus. How about we start turning our mirror upward and reflecting Jesus to the world expect, instead of expecting them to reflect Jesus to us? Because it's never going to happen. It never has This is what Jesus actually taught earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 5 of Matthew 5, uh, in chapter 5 of the Gospel of Matthew, in verse 14, it says this, you are the light of the world. Can you say you? You. Jesus wasn't saying I am the light of the world. He's saying you are the light of the world. How empowering is that? You are the light of the world. Not, not, not some pastor, person with a title. You are the light of the world. He goes on. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Think about this. We have the ultimate light. Jesus shining in our lives. And for too many, we bottle it up. We keep it to ourselves. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Reflect me to the world. Turn that mirror upward and reflect me. Be the light of the world. Be the light of the world. Not, not, not reflect the world back to me. Reflect me to the world. Because you are the light of the world. Don't put it under a, a bowl. He goes on. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Because here's the deal. If you're just reflecting your good life, like you're living up to everything perfectly. This is what the religious leaders were doing in the first century. You know what they do? They glorify you. Look at how good they are. Look at how perfect they are. 
Look at how wonderful everything just falls into place. Can I tell, tell you something, be honest with you? None of us have a perfect life. I don't have a perfect life. You don't have a perfect life. Let's try to stop doing things in a way where we get the credit. Let's start doing things in a way where we reflect what he is doing through us. That's what Jesus is talking about. Don't judge others. Let Jesus transform you and reflect that to the world around you. As the worship team comes up this morning, we are called to be a reflection of Jesus so ultimately he receives the glory. You know, Christians are, are going to, to only become more frustrated in the coming years. Why? Because we live in a largely post-Christian world and when we expect others to remove the specks from their eyes without realizing that, even, uh, that they even have a speck and without knowing the one that can remove the speck, we're expecting a world around us to magically figure out that something's wrong. They don't know something's wrong. How are they supposed to know something's wrong? And how are they even supposed to know the one that can remove that speck, what's wrong? The only way they'll know that is as we reflect Jesus, his grace, and his mercy back to them. And this is what's remarkable about Jesus and how he did that and what he asks of us. In our, in our world, we have this really uh, unique perspective of power. You know, in, in, in throughout the world, and this is throughout human history, power has always been viewed as a person with authority or title forcing that power down to others. You can see this throughout human history. Dictators, empires, they would conquer lands and they would force their power down on those that, they were, that were now subject to them. This is, this is how culture works. Jesus was born in a situation like this where the Roman Empire had conquered his people, the Jews, and they were subject to Roman rule. Whatever the Romans said, they had to do. They were essentially enslaved to the Romans. Power pushed down. But Jesus modeled something entirely different. He said when you have power and authority, you don't force it down to people. Instead, you get down and serve them crazy. One of the the powerful statements that Jesus makes is he talks about going the extra mile. I don't know if you've heard this, like go the extra mile. It's a common phrase that we use, but actually originated with Jesus. And and in that that, uh, uh, teaching that Jesus was giving about going the extra mile, uh, you have to understand the context of that day that there was a law that any Roman soldier could ask you to carry their, their, their luggage, their bags, uh, their, their stuff for a mile. They had, it was a law. They could ask anyone, and you were subject to do it. Why? Because you're enslaved to that Roman rule. And they love to exercise that power. And they would ask someone, hey, you have to carry this a mile. And, and it was a mile. And Jesus said, when someone, when a Roman soldier that you are subject to, and you are essentially enslaved to, when they ask you to carry their bag a mile, you are powerless. You have to do it. What I want you to do is I want you to go the extra mile because in that extra mile, you now have freedom and power. You are going above and beyond and you are doing that out of your own free will and choice. You're exercising authority not by strong-arming someone but by serving them. Crazy, so upside down. 
And this is what Jesus asks us to do. We walk in this authority as followers of Jesus. He's not asking us to go around and judge everybody and force what God is doing on them. Jesus modeled this so many times. He's asking us to get down and to serve them. How do we serve them? We serve them by living a better life and reflecting Jesus better. Take the plank out of our own eye so we can help them take the speck out of their eye. It starts with me. It starts with you. And if we can recognize what we're reflecting better, it's going to change how we react to what's happening around us. It's not about judging everybody so they can live up to this biblical standard because it's not going to happen. It's about looking on the inside first and foremost and saying, God, what do I need to change? Holy Spirit, what are you working on in my life? How do you need to smooth the rough edges in my life? What are things that I need to work through? What are things that I need to surrender to you? What are things I need to stop doing? What are other things I need to start doing? God, let it start in me. We don't need more people going on Facebook or social media telling the world why they're horrible and the place is burning. We need more people who are willing to reflect Jesus to a world that is broken. And to reflect Jesus means to allow him to change and transform you. We talked about earlier to apply this work of the cross to our lives because it's finished. Maybe you're here today and you've never taken the step to apply the work of the cross to your life. Like maybe you've been in situations where Christians or people who are follow, claim to follow Jesus have judged you in so many ways that you have completely discounted this whole idea of following Jesus because people have been mean or hurtful or hateful and said things and done things that you're like, I don't ever, ever want to be part of that. I'm sorry if that's happened to you. I apologize. That's not the way of Jesus. Jesus says, come to me. All you who are weary, all you who are burdened, and I want to give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Not that it's easy to follow Jesus. I promise you, it'll cost you everything. But he doesn't say you have to live up to some standard. He just says, come. Come and allow me to reflect myself into your life and to change you and to mold you and shape you. And if you're here, you've never taken that step to experience his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, his love. I don't want to move past this moment without giving you an opportunity to turn your face toward heaven, to say, Jesus, shine down on my life. Change and transform my life. I promise you, it won't be easy, but it will never be the same again. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your presence, your grace, and your mercy. Lord, that so often, Lord, Lord, you meet us in the places that, that we don't deserve. God, you meet us with grace and mercy that we have never earned. God, you love us and transform us because you believe in us, Lord. You don't just see us for what we are. You see us for where we are going. God, you see the purpose and the potential that rests in each of our lives because you shaped us, you formed us, you created us. God, I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to people's hearts in person here or online that, that God, you've been working to this moment. You circled October 31st, 2021 on their life's calendar because you knew that today was a day that was going to change their future, their destiny, change their family forever. As you're continuing to pray this morning, if you're here and you say, Nick, I, I know that today's a day I need to step forward. I need to start walking with Jesus. I, I need to let him shine that light into my life because it's dark, it's broken, 
The pieces are many. The ashes are, are fresh. I don't know how to rebuild. I don't know how to make this work. My life is falling apart. I made mistakes that I, I don't know if I can ever recover from. And I want you to know that God loves you. He sees you. He sees your pain. And he wants to redeem your past, your life, and all that it entails. Forgive you and help you live for his purpose. And if, and if you're saying, here, Nick, I, I really need to take that step. In a moment, I'm going to count to three. I'm just going to ask you to reach your hand toward heaven as a physical act of your will to say, that's me. If you're watching along, you can do it in your living room, wherever you're at. If that's you this morning, we're going to pray together after we do this. One, two, three. Would you reach your hand toward heaven this morning? Amen. Anyone else this morning? Amen. Amen. You can put your hands down. And I'm asking everyone to pray this prayer with me. Whether you raised your hand or not, we're the family of God. We do this together. We're, we're not in this on our own. We're not isolated like I talked about earlier. We walk through this journey together. Let's all pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me as I am. Thank you for not discounting me or giving up on me. Today I accept your forgiveness. Shine your light in my life. Transform my life from the inside out. Give me your grace and your mercy. Give me the strength to follow you all the days of my life and to show your love to the world around me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning from your heart, not just reciting some empty prayer, hollow prayer, man, you're beginning this incredible journey. And, and we want to help you. This isn't something you have to go on your own. In your pew, if you're here in person, there's a blue Connect card. You can fill that out and check, hey, I'm committing my life to Jesus today. Drop it in a giving box. Or if you want to do it online, go to connect.calvaryirwin.com. Click the button that says, uh, I'm, I decided to commit my life to Jesus today. And you can fill that out. We just want to get you some resources and help you not just make a one-time decision like, man, I feel good right now, but, but to make this a journey that you can follow him the rest of your life. Because it's incredible. As we recognize how beautiful it is to reflect his light, his glory to the world around us. And as we prepare to go here in a minute, I want to pray over you. And, and, and here's my prayer. Not just like, hey, you know, a nice little prayer that makes you feel good and you can go watch the Steelers win today against the Browns. I want to pray that God would use you as a reflection of his light in this dark world. A prayer of commissioning. That he's not just sending us out of church. He's commissioning us to be a light because you are the light of the world. Not, not, not that you're reflecting yourself, not that you're reflecting others to you, you're reflecting him to the world that needs it. And, and over the next month, we're going to be going through this series called Scars. And, and this series is really built uh, around this idea that, that the scars of our past are a roadmap of his redemption. Like the moments that you've been hurt, the moments that others have done things against you or you've made mistakes and you have these scars in, in your past, you look back over your life and you can see the scars of your life. Moments that maybe something happened that was painful or difficult and now it's healed, but there's still a evidence of what you experienced. Those scars are evidence, they're the roadmap of God's redemption in your life. And over the next month, we're going to be walking through that. And we're going to have a couple incredible guests 
of a guy named Anthony Torres that wrote a book uh, called Letters to My People, and he's sharing uh, about his journey from addiction to freedom. Uh, the, the 21st, that week we're going to have baptisms too. On the 21st, we have a guy named Carlos Evans who was a Marine in Afghanistan, stepped on an IED, blew off both of his legs and his left hand. He's going to be with us sharing. This guy has just had a remarkable, remarkable approach, perspective of what he's walked through. What, are, what, are, what is this whole series, Scars? It's not just an opportunity to talk about your scars. It's an opportunity to invite someone so we can talk about their scars. That you become a reflection of Jesus to the world around you. Maybe there are people in your workplace or your neighborhood. This next month is going to be an awesome opportunity to invite someone. As you leave, there's cards, little postcards. You can take and invite someone to, to Calvary. to say, you know what? I want to be a light. I'm not just reflecting my, myself. I want to reflect Jesus to this world. And as we close, I want to pray a prayer of commissioning over you, that you can be that light that shines in the darkness. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness. Lord, I thank you for your grace. Jesus, today, I commission every person that is here. Send us out. Send us out as lights to this world. Lord, let us be that mirror that reflects your glory to a world that so desperately needs it. God, I pray you would transform us that we could be a clear conduit of your grace and mercy to this world. God, transform us so that we can transform our world around us and our workplaces and our schools and our neighborhoods that wherever we go, we carry that reflection. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would empower us. Give us courage to step out in the moments you prompt us. God, give us the ability to be obedient when you speak to us and challenge us to do something that might be uh, stretching for us. Let us see, Lord, what you and only you can do in those supernatural moments. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do through us. God, I pray in advance over this next month that your power would be on display, that we would see lives changed as we celebrate baptisms in a couple weeks, Lord, that, that we get to see the stories of your grace, of your transformation, Lord, of your redemption, Lord, that, that we get to celebrate, Lord, what you are doing in these stories and guests that we have. God, move in a mighty way, we pray. Transform people's lives. Change entire families, I pray. In Jesus' name. This is Pastor Nick Pohl, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 